Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast series on impact, talking with entrepreneurs and organizational leaders who contribute to building a more cooperative and positive future. I'm Ursula York, the host of this series. I'm a mentor to business people who want to have a positive effect on the world around them, building strong businesses by creating value for their clients, team members, and the larger world. I am so passionate about sharing with you the stories of entrepreneurs and leaders who have impact, their inspiring and energizing role models. I hope you use what you learn here to be inspired about what you can do in your business and beyond. For ongoing inspiration and support to get clear on your impact and put it into action, enter your name and email at workalchemy.com. Today's guest in this podcast series on impact is Marianne Williamson. Marianne is an internationally acclaimed spiritual author and lecturer. She's a popular guest on television programs such as Oprah, Larry King Live, Good Morning America, Charlie Rose, and Bill Mayer. Seven of her 12 published books have been New York Times bestsellers. Four of these have been number one. The mega bestseller, A Return to Love, is considered a must-read of the new spirituality. A paragraph from that book beginning, Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure, is considered an anthem for a contemporary generation of seekers. In 1989, Marianne founded Project Angel Food, a Meals on Wheels program that serves homebound people with AIDS in the Los Angeles area. To date, Project Angel Food has served over 8 million meals. Marianne also serves on the advisory board of the Results Organization, working to end the worst ravages of hunger and poverty throughout the world. According to Time magazine, Yoga, the Kabbalah, and Marianne Williamson have been taken up by those seeking a relationship with God that is not strictly tethered to Christianity. So welcome, Marianne. I'm delighted to have you here on the podcast. Thank you for having me. So how did you come to this point of having as much impact as you have uh, the quote in the bio is one that people repeat over and over, and I'm I'm really interested to hear how that has evolved for you over your career. Well, thank you. If I have had any impact, I think uh, that's just because I've been around so long. <laughs> I was lecturing on um, A Course in Miracles, the book's uh, Course in Miracles, back in 1983. I wrote my first book, Uh, called A Return to Love, Reflections on the Principles in A Course in Miracles. And that was published in 1992. So that book, uh, that paragraph that you just referred to, is from that book, A Return to Love. And then I was very, very fortunate because Oprah read the book. This was before she had um, her book club. But she read the book when it came out, and she had me on, and she said it was the best book she'd ever read, and she bought a 1,000 copies for her audience. And I don't think that there was any way to overestimate the role that Oprah's support played in my having a um, large exposure. Sure. And that kickstart meant so much. I had already been lecturing, like I said, for, um, for almost 10 years, but that widened my audience uh, significantly and beyond that and since then I have worked hard I have um, done what we all do to um, try to do meaningful work in the world 
it's really not a mystery in that sense. Uh, but I feel very blessed. I feel very privileged to have a career that enables me to feel that I can speak to what really matters um, in my heart. And the Course in Miracles says people hear you on the level that you speak from. So I experience that. I know that if I speak from a place in me that is deeply true, I tend to be heard from a place that is deeply true. Um, I read a book many years ago by a man named Arnold Patton, where he said, if you genuinely have something to say, there is someone out there who genuinely needs to hear it. Right. And as a speaker and as a writer, that principle has, has guided my work. Well, and you've certainly, a lot of people have heard what you have to say, so it's reaching people on a really profound level. And what what impact do you feel that that is having in the world? I, I know I, I saw you speak recently and you expressed uh, a lot of concern about where we are in, in terms of our place in history right now. And um, so it's uh, how do you feel that, that this is affecting people on a larger scale? Well, my voice is just one voice out of millions and more. So I don't think of anything, any of this in terms of my personal quote unquote impact. And um, I would always avoid anything like that because it sounds grandiose to me. But in terms of the impact of the larger spiritual conversation in the world today, I think it's huge. I think that the entire uh, integrative, holistic, transformational, higher consciousness, non-denominational spiritual perspective, you know, brought into the world through so many sources, both religious, spiritual, and secular, um, even programs like AA. There are so many openings. There are so many doors to the room of the sacred. And I believe that it is clearly, this isn't even a matter of belief. I don't know how you can deny this. This is fact. It's a tremendous cultural impulse in our world today. <clears throat> it has transformed uh, medicine, obviously. We now have an integrative holistic wellness approach that would not exist otherwise. That expands us beyond the strictly allopathic Western medical model. Right. We now have this conversation um, influencing education, influences psychotherapy, influences business. It has opened up the space for a, an, a conversation about the world that retreats from this miasma, this mesmerization that has taken over the Western mind ever since the advent of the Industrial Revolution, where we concentrate and focus on external things at the expense of internal realities that are every bit as important. And when you are only using the physical eyes, that's when you're flying blind. When you're only registering reality according to the physical senses, that's when you're actually not using the navigational tools that are the most powerful in life because you're not contacting wisdom. You're not contacting deeper reflection and internal guidance. I think what's happening now is 
especially given our current political crisis, is that people are aware. You, you know, people are aware of what we've done to the planet. People are aware of this dismantling of many of the democratic uh, cornerstones of our society. People are aware that the, we, that the stress points on the planet today that face humanity are not only urgent and critical, but people have a sense that the problem-solving repertoire with which we have been taught to address these challenges is itself inadequate to the challenge. So I think now we're at a point where there is this activation, there is this awakening. What we need to do now is channel the energy away from any tendency towards paralysis and fear into a conversation which actually addresses these issues on the causal level, which alone can provide some real solutions and real problem solving because it is itself holistic and integrative rather than merely external remedy. So what do you think is the cause? The cause is that humanity is insane. That's what <laughs> the world is that humanity is not in its right mind. Don't, don't beat around the bush. Give it to us straight. <laughs> we have allowed short-term economic principles to be the organizing uh, principle of human civilization. Where, what, what holy book or spiritual practice or principle tells us to bow down to money, tells us to make economics our we have turned economics into a false god it's idolatry as opposed to love as opposed to brotherhood as opposed to justice as opposed to righteousness as opposed to forgiveness as opposed to mercy now money is important obviously but we tend to think well you just go for the economic success and that will take you well it used to be this this unexamined belief perhaps that if you take care of your economy that goodness will follow now there's not even a pretense that we're even going for goodness yeah whereas from a spiritual perspective you go for goodness you go for harmony you go for divine right relationship between and among people you go for mining the inner gold of our divine potential and then economy results naturally both the economy of money and the economy of every other aspect of nature so that that shift from making money God to making love to, to turning back and remembering that love is God. Love is God. Money is not God. This is this this is a whoredom that we have allowed to um, infect the consciousness of our civilization. And just like in the in the body, when a cell decides to go off and do its own thing, forgetting that it's here to collaborate with the other cells in order to serve the healthy functioning of the organ and the organism of which it's part, that's cancer. That's a malignancy when a cell just goes off on its own and says, oh, the only thing that matters is me. And that kind of malignant consciousness has infected humanity. And that's what needs to be addressed. And once you remember, you know, there's a wonderful line from Mother Teresa. If there is no peace in the world, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. And that shift inside us affects everything. You look out at the world and you cannot see economic inequality the same way. You, not, you cannot see racial disparities in our criminal justice system the same way. You cannot see what we are doing to the planet and dismantling environmental protection the same way. You cannot see any of the issues of the day in the same way when you realize that 
no matter what the expression, whether it's on in an individual life or on a collective level, the, the deeper question is, do we or do we not belong to each other? And are we or are we not brothers in this planet? Yeah. On this planet? I think that's so well said. And, and the irony of it is, and you and I are both business people, so and the audience for this podcast is largely entrepreneurs and organizational leaders. The irony of it is that, yes, business is based on profit. It's an essential aspect in order to keep a business viable. And yet we have to be interconnected with our clients, our team members, all of that in order for businesses to function as well. So it's it's this concept that's just been turned on its head where money has become the paramount principle rather than the, the connection. Well, you just said something very interesting. You said we have to make a profit and yet as though our remembering our, our right relationship to each other is somehow antithetical to the profit principle. I would argue the opposite. We all know, for instance, that, at least when I was growing up, there was this, you know, the customer is always right thing. And you used to walk into a store and the dominant model, your most common experience was somebody was glad that you were there. Right. And treated you really nice. And that actually increased the probability that that person would make a sale. Right. Today you walk into a store and as often as not, some salesperson treats you like you're lucky that they let you in. And I, I notice how that doesn't make me want to shop there. Right. So, so I don't think that treating each other right is antithetical to the profit principle. I think that there is a righteousness in a healthy, ethically based free market. I try to create value. And if that has value for you, and I don't want to manipulate you, I mean, that really moving from a sales mentality to a service mentality. I don't want to manipulate you, but if this would add value to your life, I want you to know about it. And then you give me money. So there is an exchange of value. I created value. You give me money. I give you the product. We both walk away having won. So there's something beautiful about that. It's when the profit motive is turned into ultimate motive that an actual perversion of the system sets in where my concept of selling has more manipulation than service involved where my goal because profit is my only bottom line manipulating you to buy the, the product whether you need it or not to create the appetite within you whether you need it or not becomes paramount mm -hmm. but I believe if we all follow what's in our hearts and, and create that which we feel moved, moved to create, it goes back to Arnold Patton. If you genuinely feel moved to create something, there's someone out there for whom the creation would be a service. Well, and you speak to this really, um, and I completely agree with you, and I uh, perhaps didn't put it as clearly as I would have liked, but I, I completely agree. And I think that a lot of the manipulation and marketing that people have such a hard time with both both following this model that works of marketing, which is um, can have a, a manipulative basis, that and and uh, and being taken in in some way or or responding to that in a way that doesn't feel good either. That's uh, that's that speaks to 
those issues as well in having a business and how do you put the word out about the value that you uh, that you have and that you have to offer and how do people respond? I think it has to do with the consciousness with which we do it. And I think every business person makes decisions. I mean, I, I as much as anyone, if I, let's say I do an online class, sitting around the table with my team, what, what do you think we should charge for this? And because I'm a spiritual student, uh, I'll say, okay, everybody close your eyes. What are you getting? It's, it's amazing how many times people will get the same number. Then there's the conversation. Is that too much? Is that too little? Is, does that feel right? Does that, does that feel right? And does that match? You know, you, you, it's, there is a golden mean in life. It's like you have to eat, but you can feel when you ate too much. It's like when you have $50 to spend and you go to the shopping mall and you know that $50 is a reasonable something for you to spend. Then you look for, let's say, a sale, and I find a beautiful camisole or something. And I come home, and I'm all excited because I look what I got for this $50. But if I allow myself to spend $75, I come home. I'm happy for a few minutes, but then I start to have this really uncomfortable, disturbing feeling because I know I spent too much. It actually undercuts my joy. The gut, this is kind of what I meant before about being guided by internal rather than merely external means. How much you spend, how much you charge. These are expressions of your humanity. Everything we do is an expression of our humanity. And when we're only coming from, how can I get more? It throws off the, the balance of your own life. It lacks righteousness, right useness. So I think that when it comes to business, we want to remember that it's, it's, it's all a part of the larger fabric of a society and we're all affecting each other all the time. And everything has become so bloated. Everything has become too big. It's like instead of, and I remember once I was going through something with money in my own life and I thought, Marianne, you simply, you're going you know, to have to stop shopping. Just look in your closet at what you have. And, I, real, and I, I realized that that was a very good correction. Because I noticed I had things that I'd sort of forgotten I had. That I had, I would have three shirts. And I thought, why, did I, why do I have three of these? Not only did I have three, but I had actually, if I'd had the money, probably would have gone and bought another. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm a person who enjoys material things, and I enjoy shopping. But I also know that there is that gold in me, and it applies not only to what I buy, but it applies also to what I charge in my career. It gives that there is, there is a healthy abundance there is a healthy flow. There is a healthy ability to allow your material uh, plane to support you and uplift you and bring joy to yourself and others. And then there is this space beyond that into which we are too easily lured into today, in today's society. Hmm. Well, there's so much emphasis on acquisition. I mean, what you spoke about around, you know, looking in your own closet, I 
seven years ago, I got rid of most of my belongings and went traveling. And it was extraordinary, the liberation that came from that. I think we, we weighed ourselves down with the stuff we have and, and the time required to maintain all that stuff. So, and, Absolutely. and yeah. And it taps into what you were saying too about use of money in your business. It's, it's also related to what do you pay people? Um, many business people say, well, I'll pay as little as I can afford because after all, I, I have to keep expenses down or, or rather I, I pay as little as I can because I have to keep expenses down. And I, I've never agreed with that. I think there's a, a value question that has to come into play in that. I, do you have thoughts on that as well? Well, yes. And one of those thoughts has to do with raising the minimum wage. <laughs> yeah. See so many people in our society working two and three jobs just to make ends meet. You know, when we were younger, people who worked at like fast food restaurants and, and jobs like that mm-hmm. to be uh, teenagers after school or, um, you know, just some part-time jobs that younger people, well, wouldn't be teenagers necessarily, but younger people just getting started. And now when you think of how many people uh, are having to work at jobs like that for a living and multiple jobs like that, um, this is a question that goes beyond the individual, obviously, to, to the entire society. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm really curious about your own experience around this topic of impact, because you said earlier that you you don't see yourself as individually or personally having that much impact, but rather you're part of this greater movement. And I, I'm curious about that, because for someone who's been as quoted as often as you have, as interviewed as often as you have, you've worked with uh, so many high-profile people. I just finished reading a, a biography of Hillary Clinton and learned that you worked with her uh, around the, you and Jean Houston around the time uh, her husband was in office. So I'm, I'm curious to hear how how is your relationship with your own impact shifted? Have you always felt that way, that it's really, you're just speaking out of um, your own voice and whatever impact that has is just part of a greater whole or has that changed over time? Well, I don't mean to be coy or falsely modest or anything like that. Um, I just think that that conversation is best approached by others than by me. I don't wake up in the morning and think I have an impact. Uh, it's just not the conversation in my head. I am grateful because I, I do see what you're saying, but I, I have a 35-year career, almost 35, 34 years, and I've written a lot of books and I've given a lot of talks. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I know that there has been impact of sorts, but it feels somehow corrupting for me to be you know, like in the East, the guru never calls himself or herself a guru. That's right. for other people. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? I do, yeah. So do you, what is it that draws you forward then? Is it, because um, some of the conversations I've had around impact have been with people who've, they've had a desire to have an impact in a certain way, to to make a difference in a certain way. And that is what draws them forward. Is that? Something that calls you, or is it more internal? Not at all. 
I, I, as a student of A Course in Miracles, that would never be my, my goal. My goal is to be the person I'm capable of being in any given moment. I have no idea how many people listen to your podcast. All I know is that my heart felt, yeah, that, that lady, I'll talk to that lady. And it's none of my business how many listeners you have. or It's the depth of the conversation that we have. It impacts the ethers. And all this business people have today of, I want to get my message out. You know, it's, it's ambition posing as something else. Hmm. I think the point is to get your message in, at least for me. I want to get my message in. I want to practice what I preach to the best of my ability. And if I practice what I preach, when, that, when I am, life works, including commercial success. When I don't, I mess things up like anyone else does. So when you, when you make your focus anything other than your own personal righteousness, your own personal impeccability, you're on thin ice. And, and the goal of getting my message out, having an impact, what, what, what are you, chopped liver? You're the person in front of me at this moment. Notice how many people who quote unquote want to have a major impact, somehow that seems connected at times to almost ignoring your, your, the moral imperative of the relationship to the person in front of you. So that's what is most important. The person in front of you and rising to the occasion of whatever circumstance you're in. And what I found in my life is if I try to be the person I'm capable of being in any situation, in the present, the future unfolds according to that. You're always programming the, the future in the present. And it's been in those moments where I have not been careful enough. I have not been conscious enough in the present to be reflective, to be wise, to be kind, to be compassionate, to be caring, to be generous, that things get off. There's always a consequence to that. And that applies in your professional life as well as your personal life. So rising to the occasion of your own, the angels of your own better nature in any moment is the key to success professionally as well as personally, because they aren't two separate categories the way we pretend they are. Right. I love that clarity around um, everything being in the moment and that we're creating the future, in essence, by how we're showing up in the present. And right. um, I am interested in hearing how do you support yourself in staying that present, in being that connected to yourself as you're connecting one person to one person? How do you help maintain that? Well, the biggest mistakes I've ever made came when I was moving too fast. Um, not honoring the importance of time to reflect, prayer, meditation. Uh, the French philosopher Blaise Pascal said that all problems in the world stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. When I think of, and this is as true professionally as it is personally, when I think of my mistakes, my biggest mistakes, the question always becomes, had I meditated that morning? 
had I prayed. One very big professional mistake I made in my life, I spent years, and it's been many years, thinking, if only I'd say, could I have the weekend to think about that? I didn't have to say I need to pray about it. Maybe that, that may or may not have been something, which in that case, ironically, would have been okay. But in most professional situations, it would not be appropriate to use that language. But the most powerful people don't have a problem saying, I need to think about that for a while, please, if I could have a day to think about that. If I could have a weekend to think about that. We don't. We wake up in the morning and we rush to the newspaper or the television and we don't take the time to meditate. We don't take the time to pray. We don't take the time to center ourselves. We don't take the time to think about important things, the God of our understanding, love. You know, when you wake up in the morning and you do take that time, even five minutes in the morning, and send your love and your blessing to all your employees that you're going to see that day, all your employers, all your colleagues, all your associates, everyone you're going to meet that day, it puts you within a different psychic universe. And all minds are joined. People can feel when they've been blessed. You walk into a business meeting and just look silently and bless everyone who's there. People won't know why they like you, but they will know that it felt good when you walked in. Right. Just like when you walk into a meeting and you're angry and you're upset, people feel that. And so taking the time you know, to actually do that, and it's not even a lot of time. Too, too often we're so busy, we're, we're so hurried. And that's why everybody's so anxious. That's why everybody lacks impulse control. That's why everybody's rushing to take a drug to calm themselves down these days. It's insane where we have come. Yeah. And we have to dismantle that craziness. One move, one thought, one action at a time. I wonder, too, if we're really if there's a profound kind of lack of self-awareness or self-confidence, I guess is, is a word that could be used when we don't recognize that how we are, our presence does affect other people. I mean, I think ironically, I, when I see people scrambling to have an impact or have an effect that goes beyond it, when it has that grandiosity that you spoke about, I think it uh, can derive from people just feeling quite unimportant and like they don't matter. And by somehow by, by doing these great things that they'll compensate for that. It somehow justifies their existence. In A Course in Miracles, there's a line that says, grandiosity is always a cover for despair. Hmm. When you are really confident, you are more humble. And when you're scared is when you blow yourself up and think that you have to prove to other people that you're bigger or you're better or you've got the power. And, you know, I, I've seen this in my life. When I get it right, it has wonderful consequences. And when I get that wrong, it's had some very damaging consequences. And so a lot of the conversation we have about business really is about the leaves rather than the roots. You don't water a, a plant by watering the leaves. You water a plant by watering the roots. Mm -hmm. And the roots in your business is you personally, your personal interaction, your interaction with 
your product, your interaction with your colleagues, your interaction with your associates, your interaction with your employees, your interaction with your employers, um, your interaction with the universe, your interaction with the God of your understanding. We tend to think of questions about personal impeccability and ethics as somehow separate from the business conversation. But it is the root. Who you are is the root of everything. You know, I was having, a, I was on Randy Zuckerberg's radio show on Sirius XM. She, she does a business show. And her co-host was a, was a very uh, successful uh, investor from Hong Kong. It was a very interesting conversation, and we were talking about this, and I pointed out that no matter who you are, somebody out there has a, has a resume as good as yours. Somebody out there has a business plan as good as yours. Somebody out there has expertise as good as yours. People are going to hire you. People are going to promote you. People are going to want to work with you and invest in you at a certain point because they like you. There's something about you that makes them think you're the one, you know, and I, when I pointed out to this investor, I'm sure that because he's dealing, you know, with huge hedge funds and huge, you know, huge investments. And I said, you know, at a certain point, I would think it's not just about the business plan, but who it is. It's not just about the product that they're looking to develop, but how you feel about the person who will be running this thing whether you feel that they are trustworthy, whether you feel they have what it takes. And he, he acknowledged that. It's common sense. It's just that when we read, you know, when we go to business school or whatever, often that part of the conversation is left out. It's like how many people go to medical school and are not taught about nutrition. It's the same thing. Sometimes given the worldview that dominates our culture, our eyes are so mesmerized as I said before on external issues that we are blind to some of the things that matter most well when we're looking at business on a spiritual level really which I believe is what you're talking about then how some of the things that people struggle with when you you they feel if you give yourself over to this um spiritual way of being or that you're uh, really focused on that, that you somehow become disconnected or that the physical world doesn't matter at all. Well, I know. And that's the problem. And that's one particular religion that fosters that, you know, this idea that you can serve God or you can be happy, right. <laughs> serve God or have a kick-ass business, serve God or make money. When, Serving God just means serving love. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, all else will be added unto you. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, the Maserati will get here when the Maserati <laughs> So really, serving God means serving love. There is no greater abundance because it means fueling the better part of your own nature, mm -hmm. your own clarity, your own right relationship with other people your own right relationship with your own productivity. You know, I remember reading a book, I think it was a William James book many, many years ago, and it was about the Virgin Mary and the great cathedrals of Europe. And it was talking about how most of the people, those things took hundreds of years to complete, you know, or, or at least a hundred years, more than one generation of worker was the point. 
that most of the people who worked on those cathedrals knew that they would never see the finished product. Knew that they never would. And yet when you look at the workmanship, you look at the brilliance, you look at the genius. Yeah, it's incredible. And what James was saying was there has never been a, a goal for human productivity that has produced more than the goal of honoring the Virgin Mary in those cathedrals. Hmm. And what does that what does that mean for them? They were there for the love. Yeah. They were for love. Yeah. They were for love. That they were not just it was about more than getting paid. It was about what the cathedral meant to them. Yeah. Well I um if, I'm wondering if there's if you could distill that down to one message that you would want to leave with people, one thing you would want to say to them about their their business being in the world, what would that be? I think all of us, all of us have a calling. Most of us, or at least a lot of us, don't feel we have heard that calling yet. The rose is the rose, the peony is the peony, the bird of paradise is the bird of paradise. There's no flower less beautiful than any other, and there's no flower less important than any other. In A Course in Miracles, it tells us that all of us are special and none of us are special, that all of us are imbued with potential genius. The Course in Miracles says that those of us who have achieved the most have achieved a fraction of what all of us are capable of. So apply that to Beethoven, apply it to Shakespeare, that those who have achieved the most have achieved a fraction of what all of us are capable of. And that as we seek to serve that voice of nature, that calling of the ages, it's so much bigger than just making money. Not that money isn't important, but it is the co-pilot. It's not the pilot here. How can I help God heal the world? How can I be an instrument of the love and the peace that will serve the world? How can anyone I meet today, how can I be a space of transformation where whoever encounters me today or whoever encounters whatever product I create will be blessed by this? In whatever language, whether it's spiritual language or secular language, that you're really trying to serve the law of goodness as you understand goodness. And that within that, there is that calling of the soul that is no less in any of us than in all of us. And it's what in the East is called your dharma. And if you, no matter what your job, you could be, you could be cleaning someone's house, you could be leading a huge multinational organization, are you doing something that will create something beautiful and make something better and uplifting for someone? Is there value that you're creating that will be a, a beautiful interaction with some other person that there will be a win-win? That's what business should be. It should be a win-win. And that, that's really the law of righteousness right there. I win if I walk away with the money. You win, you walk away with the product. I, I, or sometimes it's not about money. Maybe the, the exchange is something different. The point is, are both people uplifted? We're all uplifted because it's a win-win universe. You know, that's one of the reasons writing a book 
it's nice. It's a gentleman's, it's one of the last gentleman's business because everyone is involved. The editor is involved, the publisher is involved, the writer is involved, the designers are involved, and the reader is involved. Right. And theoretically, everybody brings what they bring to it and then walks away with something more. And that's, that's right economy. And to participate in that is, is an honor. But don't see your business as separate from the rest of your spiritual life. It's not separate. It's part of, and when you consider what an important part business plays in the world today, then it's extremely important for us to recognize the ethical responsibility of being a business. People encounter your product. People encounter your your uh, store, and that matters not because whether or not they will buy there, but how their life will be affected by having been there. Will somebody's life be positively impacted if they read this, if they listen to this? And that that's the opening of the inner eye. And if you take care of that domain, that's what it, that's what I mean when I say you water the leaves, you water the roots and the leaves will take care of themselves. Blossoms will emerge. I mean, when I think of something like when I wrote my first book, A Return to Love, the, the word bestseller was not in my consciousness. <laughs> I, I didn't even, it was it, something profound there and profoundly... Um, profoundly uh, abundant on a, on a material plane emerged from two things. Number one, I didn't know to do anything more than to write a good book. Nothing else was in my consciousness than to try to serve the product. And also during that time, I've been very involved with the AIDS crisis. And I always felt when that book came out, that in part it was the universe responding to the many hours and weeks and months that I had spent on, on an act of love that had absolutely nothing to do with money. Mm-hmm. So I think the universe responds to all kinds of things in whatever way that is most appropriate to the upliftment of your life and the lives of others. And I, I, you know, anytime I've tried to lose weight, I've gained it. Anytime I've tried to make money, I've lost it. Just serve the good, the true, and the beautiful as you perceive it. And the conversation around money becomes healthy. I've noticed a lot of people who are afraid to talk about money. But sometimes the people who say, oh, it's not about the money, then end up doing things that I think financially are uncool. You know what I'm saying? I'll say sometimes, no, it is about the money. Because money, in, within a particular conversation, it might be about the money. But the point is, bring your goodness, your ethics, and your your reasonableness, your integrity to that as much as to anything else. Right. Yeah. Well, Marianne, thank you so much for sharing your message. I, I love that you bring every aspect of yourself here, intellect, your business acumen, your um, your worldwide perspective to this return to love that you wrote about in your first book. It's really an enduring message and one that you've, 
you've consistently brought. So I, I so appreciate you being willing to be here today and talk about that and, and what that means for you. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much. I so appreciate it. And God bless you, Rosalind. Thank you. So if people would like to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Marianne.com. M-A-R-I-A-N-N-E. Great. Thank you. And thank you. thanks for the work you're doing in the world. This, is, uh, this has been amazing to, uh, to be able to talk with you about that. So Thank you. Join us for more podcasts on impact. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast channel on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll be notified as soon as new podcasts are available. Thank you to everyone listening for being here. Until next time, to keep that positive flow of energy going in your business so you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by entering your name and email at workalchemy.com.